Welcome to The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion Podcast. I'm Danielle Rodoichin. Each episode features a conversation with a creative mind about the things that inspire them or that have given their life meaning in some way. From books, to art, to a piece of jewellery, these objects are collected into a cabinet which resides in physical form in the attic at 5 Carlos Place, the Matches Fashion Townhouse in London. Today I'm speaking to the illustrator John Booth. Originally from Cumbria in the north of England, he moved to London to study at Central St Martins before going on to work with fashion designers such as John Galliano, Zandra Rhodes and Ashish. His joyful, colourful designs have been used across textiles and homeware, and in 2015 the Tate asked him to reinterpret the work of Sonia Delaunay as part of their exhibition of her work. A recent collaboration with the independent arts institution House of Voltaire saw him create an immersive experience of his dream teenage bedroom at 5 Carlos Place, where I managed to pin him down to ask him about his five favourite objects. So hi John. Hello. Welcome to the Collector's House podcast. It's so exciting to have you on the show. So we're recording at 5 Carlos Place, Matches Fashion Townhouse in Mayfair today. And... In the rooms downstairs, there is an installation that you've done with Studio Voltaire. Yes. Yeah. So that's been a really fun project. So that was something that um, I spoke to with Studio Voltaire, aka House of Voltaire. So <clears throat> House of Voltaire is their retail platform, but they're sort of it's obviously the same organisation. <clears throat> and Studio um, Voltaire is more of an educational or charitable. That's their arm. actual sort of. That's their the, the sort of chari- uh, the the gallery front of what they do and uh, yeah I think people get confused with the names but actually it's all the same organisation even I get confused with it it's all under the same roof but they just uh, the House of Voltaire is they work with artists to produce editions that sell and it's a profit share so some money goes to the gallery some goes to the artist it's good it's really good and it's actually quite nice to they work with artists to help develop their work but also it's nice to produce work with an intent to sell in it because that's I kind of that's where I think that's where me and them work really well. Because I'm from a fashion background, and I actually I create things that I want to be sold. Yeah. So I don't know. I always have this thing. People are like, what are you? Are you a designer, an artist, an illustrator? I don't know. All those things. I, make, I do a mixture of them things. I like doing a mixture of stuff. But ultimately, I want to make a living from what I do. Yeah. Got to eat. Yeah. Got to eat. Got to pay the expensive rent. <laughs> 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 got to eat, buy expensive cakes from Violet. <laughs> Violet Bakery. Yeah, I'm just saying about the, yeah, it's because uh, I live really near Violet Bakery. I live a few doors down, so it's just that's it's, dangerous for the waistline. Bloody, that's why these trousers. Yeah. That's why I've had to just undo my top button. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, you're, you're originally from Cumbria. I am. I grew up in Cumbria. I was born in Scotland to Scottish parents. Moved to Cumbria when I was two, and so I think my heart is northwestern. I really like it there. What did your parents do or what do they still do? My mum is a care worker and a lot of my family work in, because in Cumbria there isn't actually, you either can work in a factory or an old folks home, so that's what they either do. <laughs> so my brother used to work in a soap powder factory, now works in the hospital and my sister works in the hospital as well. So it's like, it's a funny old area because it's kind of, it's really beautiful countryside but I'm from South Cumbria, but on the Cumbrian coast it's really industrial. So I grew up in, it's a shipbuilding town. And then all the way up the coast, there's different factories. There's like 
pharmaceuticals. There's Sellafield, controversial nuclear power plant, which is still going. And they're big employers in the area. So it's quite a funny, but as well as like that sort of really industrial side, it's quite an arty place as well. Because you've got like the Grisel Forest and you've got that sort of the centre of the Lake District is, is pretty arty. I was quite interested about that because I think you've mentioned it before in an interview I read with you about this arts and crafts scene yeah. in Cumbria that I wasn't yeah. really aware of. Um, just tell me a bit more about it. It's like quite who's inherent involved? there because there is such a sort of tradition in making and drawing and sort of it is crafty because it isn't it's not about making these slick things but like my granddad did woodwork and he had a lathe and he was always making things on a lathe so I was never allowed to go near it because it's that's that thing that spins the wood around and you carve but yeah there always was this thing it's it's pretty arty and then every school that I went to it was almost if you weren't into sport and if you weren't like a lad's lad you you had to be good at art otherwise you'd just get bullied so like if was you, that the category you fell into? <laughs> yeah, it was or? the art side. So it was almost like a get out clause for not getting too bullied. Because if you were good at art, it made you cool. So it was it was fine. And actually, I was, I was always good at. It. I liked it. That's what I put my energy into, like making stuff and drawing. And it was just it it was just really like part of. Yeah, it just it, seemed, it wasn't even questioned. It was just always maybe I was lucky. I went to quite arty schools, but actually they weren't that arty. Just because I wanted to do it but yeah there is the um there is that side of it because Grisdale Forest they've got like a sort of art center there as well which is still running now but it's just what's it called I guess it comes to be called Grisdale Arts and there's that really famous artist that I can never remember but we used to visit the Mertz Barn have you heard of that that's in near Windermere and it is by it's Kurt Schwitters so he wasn't he's obviously not from Cumbria but it's so amazing that he an artist like Kurt Schwitters had a base in Cumbria, and even stuff like having Beatrix Potter, pretty amazing. Who's and then, you know, the the way that those books are illustrated is really really beautiful. So yeah, I think I was lucky to grow up there, but it's quite a funny contrast between, like I said, really beautiful countryside, really, like sort of it had a boom, an industrial boom, and then that went into decline. So actually, Barrow and Furness, where I went to art college. <clears throat> is in decline. Well, it was, I shouldn't say it's in decline. The industry is a bit in decline there because the shipyard was one of the main employers. And it keeps going up and down depending on what contracts they get. But again, their contracts are quite controversial because they get, they're building nuclear submarines. So then there's always Greenpeace there protesting and stuff. And when, like, you know, the royal family, when Princess Diana was alive, she came to visit the, the shipyard and there was protesters spitting at her, Greenpeace protesters spitting at her, scandal. Wow. So it was, an, it was a really interesting area to grow up and I think it definitely has informed, I don't know, I think if, if you grow up somewhere that it, there's something quite bleak about it as well in a way and I guess then if you want other stimulus you have to search it harder. Like there was one magazine shop when I was a teenager that I could go and get ID or Dazed and Confused from and I had to order it especially and I'd go in once a month and be like, oh, can you get me Dazed and Confused this month? She'd be like, oh, you again. She just... Cause yeah. like, how, how old are you? Are you 34? I'm 34, yeah. So when you were a child it was still pre-internet yeah, and was, Instagram yeah. and all that yeah yeah, yeah which, worth pointing out which yeah. again is something that's sort of quite I feel happy to have grown up in in those days because now it's so it's so weird isn't it how stuff is easier to easier to access which is obviously really liberating so you you know you can get visual stimulus and lots of inspiration and you can form your taste via 
social media, which I think is quite dangerous. Somebody said that to me once, and she, it was somebody that's sort of in the creative industry now, and she said to me, oh yeah, I've, I've, I've learned, I've sort of learned a lot and I've formed my taste through Instagram, which I actually found so depressing. I, that's not, I don't know, I, that sounds like I'm being snobby, but actually, because I guess you can't help it, but actually she was an older lady, so I, I found that quite weird. Because actually I think, because I teach a bit now still, and I would, if I see students that have sort of screen grabbed something from their phone and printed out and put it in their sketchbook, I'm just like, don't do that. Like, look at actual books, I'll go and take photographs, I'll go and draw at an exhibition. Mm-hmm. I remember when the Betty Woodman exhibition was on at the ICA, which is one of my favourite exhibitions ever. Do you know her work? No, I don't. She's an amazing ceramicist. So she actually died <clears throat> earlier this year. So she, um, she's amazing. You would really like her work. It's actually, it's very Matisse looking, but her work is extremely beautiful. But I, that's, that was, I think that was two or three years ago, the exhibition there. But what I, this sounds like a bit romanticised, but anyway, when what I really loved is the few times that I went there, I saw students actually with their sketchbook drawing her work in situ. And I was like, it's so nice to see that because that's the way I was taught. So like, because when I was at St. Martin's, our tutors made us do stuff like that. They didn't even like it if there was too many photocopies in your sketchbook. So never mind kids nowadays printing out screen grabs from Instagram in the sketchbook. It's just, it's risky really interesting mm. and so this podcast is a collector's house and um we're at five carlos place where there's a, a cabinet in the attic that i showed you earlier where um the people that we speak to on the podcast place these objects that they talk about that have sort of inspired them or that they find interesting and um i know that you had some objects that you wanted to share and talk about yes yeah because as soon as you sort of sent, told me the brief for this it interests me in a lot of different ways because I like objects, and I know that's a really, that's a really sweeping statement. But I, because I make objects, and any anything I make has been has had thought gone into it, and thinking, you know, has it got a function? Does does everything need to have a function? You know, you consider the aesthetics of things, and even do you think things need to have a function? Because some of the things yeah. that you make do, don't they? Like I think generally everything vase, does. for example. Yeah, it does. But then even then, that's such a sort of... I, I, I like things where the function could be quite tenuous or if it's actually quite tongue-in-cheek. Or you could easily... You could make pretty much anything and say, oh, well, that's a pencil holder. If you can put a pencil in it somewhere or if you put a hole in it, <laughs> if it's made out of clay... <laughs> so I've made a pencil holder in the bedroom. You can see it. That's the bedroom and that is the installation here at Five Colors Place. That is the yeah. one. That's the one which is, you can view it all online, houseofvaulthead.org. But yeah, I like it, I actually, it doesn't have, for me, it doesn't have to have that sort of a serious or academic use. It could be quite, I think it could be quite, if it's quite a fun use, I think I like that. So what is your first object then? I, so I thought about this a little bit, and it's just funny, just thinking of the first things that come to my head. This sounds really weird, but something that I think about quite a lot, I try not to eat them too much, McDonald's fries, the box that the fries come in, I think is one of the most beautiful things ever. Because it, it can, if you, because I actually got really excited the other day because I saw one that was flattened on the street. I think it might also be to do with colour scheme, because actually, it's pro- you know, you've got the red and yellow, but I think that's obvious that McDonald's, I think they've done that on purpose. Because there's a power behind those colours. There is, it's just mega, they're just, because they're so clashing and there's beauty in them. But obviously, I know McDonald's is massively problematic, and it stresses me out when I think about the scale of problematic how... Problematic in, in what? Think about, so McDonald's, like how many people a day 
are drinking from those cups and all the straws and all this and that. It's the environmental. Just, yeah, the environmental impact. I, I think. Suppose is you can recycle horrendous. the box because it's cardboard. Yeah, you could, you could, but yeah, I just wonder. It's just such a big evil corporation, isn't it? But back to the the fry. I think the box is one of the most amazing things. But I even re- remember from a young age thinking that that was quite a beautiful thing because it is. It sort of comes flat. You pop it open and it can stand up and it has evolved over the years because then more recently I've noticed that either side of the the box it's now got these sort of feet that are separate. The box has definitely evolved, but it's I just think that's a really it's a really beautiful design. Because you work your work features lots of bright colours. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you about that aesthetic and how it how you developed it and whether you've always been in, into that sort of yeah way always of... always so like. My friends that have known me for years knew that how much I was into art at secondary school. And they, they like to see that actually there's a link to what I did at school and what I'm doing now. In some ways it could look quite similar, which is, I can't decide if that's quite worrying or if it's a good thing. Because obviously you want continuity in your work, but there's definitely stuff I've done when I was a, that I was a kid that looks like stuff now. So recently I, I painted a tabletop for a Japanese restaurant and it was almost, I did this on purpose just to see if I could make my friends laugh, but I almost based it on my GCSE art piece that I did at secondary school. And actually a few of my friends picked up on it. They were like, are you taking the mick? That's like something you did 20 years ago. But I'm into that. because I think it's about building up that aesthetic. And I think because I like working across so many different mediums, I really like, I want to see continuity. Because I think just because you're working on wood, why should that look any different to if you were going to paint directly onto fabric or if you were going to design a rug? So I think it should be, I think continuity is good. Have you seen the work of Katerina Grosser? Um, I'm no. going to show you later, but we did a podcast with her on this series once. And just you talking about continuity made me think about her. Mm. She paints p- paintings, but then she'll take over gallery space and the painting will continue beyond the frame of the canvas, right. onto the wall, onto the ceiling. That's nice, yeah, yeah. Um, she'll t- and then she sometimes spray paints an entire building. I like that. I think that's good. That Yeah, that appeals to me. Because it's quite nice. I think it's about making pieces that, that then that instantly gives her work another context, doesn't it? If you can extend it sort of in situ, I think that's really interesting. That's why I like mm-hmm. Betty Woodman, because she almost plays around with those sort of that weird sense of scale. And then she'll really crudely, she'll have a vase painted onto this piece of fabric. And then she'll have a really crude wooden shelf and then have the same vase on the wooden shelf that's still on the wall. Mm-hmm. But I think that's... That the bedroom that I've done here with matches and House of Voltaire is m- my first sort of quite crude exploration into working with interiors. So it's so a it's starting point. And it's a kind of I guess the whole point of it is it's immersive. Yeah. You come into the you come into Five Carlos Place, you walk into the room yeah. and it's a it's like your fantasy bedroom. Yeah, it's kind of pretty full on, isn't it? There's a bed there's a bed in there. Is the bed a, an artwork that you're selling yeah, by the way? It is. Yeah. yeah, so I, I collaborated with a really nice company here in London called Uncommon Projects and they do kitchens usually but I definitely could sense that they've got a real good sense of other design and they and they like you know art and design in general so when I pitched the idea for these new standalone furniture pieces they were up for it and they've got really good technology so I used their I used their technology and their expertise to work with them to create new stuff so actually what you can see in the room is kind of prototypey, but it is a, it's a finished product in its own right. Like the bed is really well made, but it's the first one we've ever done, so it's quite nice. I like the way that you can buy the bed, but yeah. there are which is obviously going to be quite expensive. But then you can buy like those little badges that you've made, yeah. and stickers, and yeah, 
like you said, your work does tend to, it appeals to quite a broad range of... Yeah, I hope so. Things. But then again, that's that sort of, you've got a responsibility if you're going to, if you want to sell things or release things, there has to be a range, doesn't there? Because obviously I really love making the head vases, but if you can't afford to get one of them, then what else do you get? You could get a cup or you could get a badge or a sheet of stickers. Anything. It's all there. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's there. But then that's also down to like sort of, I also don't overthink that. It's just I want to bring out stuff like fun stuff that my mates would like or that you could, or if, that people's kids would like. You know, if somebody give them a sheet of stickers, it's fun. Because I, li- yeah, I like stickers. What else would you put into your the cabinet in the attic here? Right, yes, what else? Well, I guess there's limitations. I Another thing I really like... No I, limitations. Okay, I think perfect. we can always work around it. We'll get, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> I, one of my favourite objects at home is my Enzo Mari chair. And it was this, he designed them, he designed this furniture in the 70s and released the instructions of how to build the furniture. <laughs> so it's like, so then, and then Artec, in more recent years, the Finnish design company, took on the rights to some of the pieces. I think it's actually just one chair, the one particular type of chair. And then you could buy the, so rather than you, you cutting the timber yourself, you can buy the chair that comes flat pack. So I bought one of the Enzo Mari chairs from Artec. And then I, <clears throat> painted it, which actually Enzo Mari specifically said not to paint it because it's meant to be this really sort of. In fact, he actually designed the chair so you could make it out of crates. You know, like what are the? You know, like when you get those wooden crates that you get like, stuff on. It's actually made because the timber is meant to be two point five centimeters thick. Anyway, this is getting boring, but it's like <laughs> it's pretty okay. But anyway, so yeah, my Enzo Mari chair that's at home. That you I painted. Actually, yeah, I painted it. I painted it really bright colors. Um, because I just it was so exciting to get this like this the opportunity of having the, this flat pack chair that came in sixteen different pieces or whatever, and then considering the sort of way that you would put it together, and just to paint it and then I almost feel like I made a chair which and I, I, nailed, I nailed it together. But obviously I, I did make it, but I didn't design it. But it was just really satisfying to almost trick yourself into thinking, oh, I can make a chair. But it was almost like an adult's version of a jigsaw puzzle. <laughs> but it was really fun. So you came to London, I think it was in 2004. That is right. And I went to Central St. Martins. Yeah. And I know you're really interested in fashion. Yeah. Although you're considered primarily an artist, I suppose. Um, and I know you work with several fashion designers on work placements and, and collaborating with them and so on. But I wanted to know about what what is it? what Because um, you're not designing clothes as such, like collections in a traditional no. way. So yeah. what is it? What, what When you say you're interested in fashion, what is it about fashion? Yeah, how, how, where do you fit into it? I still really, really love it, actually. Um, I guess I always saw it as, because when I was studying, just say we had three weeks to do a project, because um, I did fashion print at St. Martin's, but that course still exists. I'm still in touch with my tutors and stuff. Um, it, it was, and everything, I think what was so important that I, that got drummed into me at St. Martin's, that everything started from a drawing. So we drew everything by hand. Um, not even, I'm not talking about formal drawings or really accurate ones, kind of the opposite, like be confident and quick enough to get your ideas down. And then um, it was always about um, a surface print or a, an embellishment or something because it was, the course I was doing was fashion print. So everything that we made had to have some sort of, the fabric had to be treated in some way, it could be dyed or printed or embroidered. And I really loved that part. So if I had a three week project, I'd probably spend about two and a half weeks in the print room, messing around with the fabric, dyeing it, printing it, 
and then absolutely panic about two days before when you've got <laughs> to make a garment and stitch together something really shonky and then but get away with it because the, the pattern looked good. You but were a contemporary there of um, <laughs> Richard Quinn, weren't you? Yeah, he was the, I think he was the year below me and Craig Green was. There was right, some, yeah. yeah, it's nice to see what people are yeah. doing now. But yeah, I, I really like Richard's work and Craig's. Yeah. There's lots of people. It's funny because you meet lots of such good people at St. Martin's and then some people that you still hear about because they've got their own label, but there's actually lots of people in industry that do amazing work that you don't hear about because they're head of print at Celine or at Chloe or something but they're there working really hard. You still live in London now, you stayed here. Would you like to ever, would you, is there anywhere else that you'd like to go and be based at for a while? Oh, I don't know, yeah, it's tempting, isn't it? Because you always have a little fantasy oh. about that where you think, oh. What's your fantasy destination? I, I mean, I do like California. Mm. LA is nice, isn't it? But then I also like upstate New York, because that's really nice. But then also because I think I really like the feel of it there. And I really like Thea Beacon, the gallery, and I like that sort of area. Like Phil Guston was from that area, the art one artist that I really like. Um, upstate New York could be good. So yeah, house upstate New York, house in California, sorted. House in London. That sounds pretty good. Um, <laughs> what other objects are you t talking about? We so you got the um, the chair and the McDonald's box. <clears throat> so another thing that's always high on my list, and that gets me mega excited, is stationery. But it's obviously that's a really broad. Thing. I get really excited. I really love the aesthetic of unused stationery as well. That could be crayons, it could be pencil crayons, it could be just, you know, the really traditional, those yellow and black striped pencils, like the real, uh, but I think unused stationery is very, very nice. Did you, did you go into the stationery shop at Central St. Martins? All the time, yeah. yeah. I, still, I still get my I like stuff that. from there, yeah. I still get my supplies from there. I really like it. Um, I went to Japan last year. Um, ev everybody seems to talk about Tokyo Hands, the, the shop there, and that was kind of unbelievable. I was in Tokyo for 10 days, and I went to that shop every single day. I've still got stationery that I bought from that trip, and it was nearly two years ago. But I've, I think Japanese people, I mean, the stationery is next level. So I don't know, yeah, I think stationery, but I wonder, I couldn't, I would find it hard to even specify which stationery, but for me, because I use it every single day, and I still derive a lot of satisfaction from, I love buying stationery. But there's really good stationery shops in London. There's a shop called Present and Correct. Have you been there? It's unbelievable. Like that's really that's almost like that. It's not not so utilitarian. Well, it is utilitarian, but it's almost like whoever's running Present and Correct, they're really capitalising on that fetishistic side of stationery because they know how to market it so well. Just it's almost like I in my display cabinet at home. I've I've actually got some of the erasers and crayons from Present and Correct just in the ca in the cabinet on display. My artwork. Like a weird. You've got your own cabinet <laughs> at home. Like you could have just bought I, that cabinet. For I this know. Cabinet. Well, I'm actually trying to fit. There's actually yeah. There's yeah. I'm trying to not just replicate too much of what's in <laughs> that because and it's funny because because I deal with so much stuff and the nature of what I do in my studio. You can again coming back to that thought of. Un Where of, is your studio? It's on just off Kings and Road behind the mosque, so it's in between Hoxton and Haggerston. I love being there. Yeah. I share it with a few other people, so it's brilliant. They artists as well. They are, yeah. Well, it's actually primarily a sort of a ceramic studio, but I do all my other stuff in there as well. I do my drawing work. The only thing is, a bit of a boring fact, it gets a bit damp in there sometimes. So <laughs> any any drawing or papers that you leave lying out, they start getting crink crinkled. So I've got to watch that. I might I need to get a plan chest. That's what one thing I would love to put my sort of paper stuff in. Because it gets quite dusty. So if you left a sheet of paper out, it'd get really dusty over a few days. Mm. But 
probably shouldn't if it's yeah probably shouldn't do that much drawing in there but I, you have to I have to be able to do all my work in there because I don't like working at home anymore do you like having other people around to work yeah for yeah. definite yeah um after you, and then when you left St Martin's you worked for a few designers including John Galliano yeah what was that like he I mean he is unbelievable he is like hands down my favorite ever fashion designer so I worked with him when I was a student. So I was in Paris for four months and it was just, it was unbelievable. Just to see the way that he worked. Was that while he was at Dior? He was, yeah. So he was splitting his time between his own label and Dior, which I think was probably quite, I think it was a lot of strain on him. And yeah, he is without doubt my favorite designer. I think he's incredible. And also I love so much what he's doing at Margiela. Like when I look at that, it makes me so happy because it's kind of exactly, without sounding elitist or snobby, it's exactly what I, what the essence that I think that we were taught at St. Martin's. It's like this sort of freedom that, like to create stuff that nobody's ever seen before. And that's so sort of not considered with being quintessentially tasteful or fitting to the body or anything. It's just so free. And it's, I think it's just exactly everything that I, wanted to soak up before I went to St Martin's and then afterwards his you know the, I get a feeling from it that it's just so sort of different to anybody else's work I love it so I'm so happy to see that he's there but it, I just think it was amazing when I got to work at his studio you know there was a whole room just full of scrapbooks like big A2 size scrapbooks full of drawings and fabric samples and ideas and really loose compositions and there was just hundreds of them and you would reference them and there'd be ones from 20 years ago and you'd take it down and it's like an amazing, that is a piece of history, that without being too, you know, blown too much smoke up his ass. But then also <laughs> in the studio I had this amazing thing where it was jars of colour, which was a, I was obsessed with. So, because you know when you do that thing when you're trying to describe a colour to somebody and you look around the room and you think, oh, it's that red, but he had a jar of red. So and it would be it wouldn't even just be fabric samples it would be pieces of cardboard or paper so you'd be like oh he'd be like bring the red jar so you get the red jar and then be like oh, it'd be that red so it was this coral red it's unbelievable such a, a simple idea but jars of color and just every just like I don't know the fantasy side of what he did and there was a spacesuit hanging up in the studio and there was just stuff and he had an amazing archive in the basement of his studio that you would you could go in and like pick out a dress from the 1920s from Spain and then also pick out a piece of like Junior Gautier or some um, Stephen Sprouse, is it Stephen Sprouse? That guy, oh, yeah, he had original Stephen Sprouse. He had early Westwood things. He just, it's like, it was like, it's, I think that's why, uh, all of that is sort of why I love fashion because it's like, it, the, I, don't, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. It's that, I like the way he cross-references everything, but without doing it in that sort of... You know when fashion could just do it in such a crass way when they just pillage ideas from anywhere? I don't think he does it in a crass way. I think he would... He obviously soaks ideas up, but in a really... And then reinterprets them in the most unbelievable way. Whereas you get just such a hit in fashion, especially nowadays. You just get the most basic, crass references. That's, that, that's the internet sort of facilitated yeah, that sort of nostalgia yeah, and it almost, referential. Yeah, and it celebrates it, and it celebrates stuff that isn't worth celebrating. And even when people now celebrating the whole sort of really gross branding and overbranding and sportswear that's just done in the most horrendous way, it could, yeah, it's difficult. Yeah, it's really funny. There's this like dual moment yeah. happening in fashion right now, isn't yeah, yeah. there? So, yeah. 
But what's so and from just get on on that point, because um, you as well as the um, the artwork that you're doing, um, you so you you do make clothes as well sometimes. No, I don't make them, but I really love working with like other people to do them. So like. Yeah. Um, Working directly with design teams to work on prints and stuff, I really like it. Or consulting across colourways. So the stuff I did at Fendi, that was a bit of a dream. Couple. Of what did you do with them? Yes. So I, I did sort of three seasons with them, or maybe two and a half. And I went in and did. They set up a desk for me in the studio with everybody around doing their own work, and I did drawings for them. And then like they would be having fittings, and Sylvia would put a jacket on the model and be like, "Oh, we could have this sort That's of logo." Sylvia Fendi. Sylvia yeah. Fendi. Yeah. Um, who is really great and has given me a lot of opportunities and given me a lot of freedom to do what I to do what I wanted with them. So that was, yeah, that's, that's a bit of a highlight so far. Are there any other designers that you want to work with that you haven't yet? Don Galliano. Again. If you're yeah. listening. <laughs> if you're, um, no, I would love to do that. There's lots of people. I would love to get into knitwear. So I've done some stuff with a really nice Scottish company called Beg and Co. And uh, we've done sort of... Um, scarves and blankets and things but i'd love to do sort of fully fashioned knitwear so i'll speak to them about that but i also yeah did some stuff with lou dalton which was really nice so it's really nice working with in the same season i was doing stuff at fendi getting flown out to rome doing stuff there and then seeing how they interpreted the work but in the same at the same time working with smaller designers in london equally as enjoyable just a different output and it reaches a different scale of people but it's it's all viable. So it's I, I kind of like... Is there anything you want to put into the cabinet at this point? Any other objects? Elastic bands? Yeah. I have this thing where if I see, especially in my area, it's very residential where I live, I still get quite excited if I see an elastic band on the floor that a postman's dropped. Because if you look down, you see that quite a lot. So pick them up. Pick them up, because actually it's bad that they're on the floor anyway, but pick them up and keep them. Because actually I, I use elastic bands a couple of times a week. Because if I'm sent, you know, collecting paper or giving somebody a drawing or whatever, roll it up, elastic band. Because yeah. how many times in your life, if you think about it, you think, oh, I really need an elastic band. But that doesn't happen at my studio because <laughs> I've got them because I picked them up off the floor. <laughs> Function, functional. Yeah. Because now you're, you're sort of really recognised and doing really well and becoming really successful. And what was the tipping point? It's funny because it's been mega up and down and it still is. Like, it's not like, I think people have... People probably imagine the way that you work or they imagine how, you know, that you're constantly working or that you're constantly earning good money or you're doing this and that. But actually, I feel like my life is quite up and down. Um, you have really busy periods in the studio, then you have a lull and you feel a bit, you think, oh, you panic a bit and then you've got to pay your tax bill and then, then you've got, then you get a really good job and then you feel really good. And then it's, so it's quite up and down. But yeah, it wasn't always plain sailing. When I first moved to London, from the countryside, I got a bit excited. So I sort of, my first few months at uni at St. Martin's were quite wobbly because I went out partying too much. But I had, I think it had to be done because why wouldn't I do that? I'm from somewhere that, where there was like one pub and then you <laughs> move to London and there's a lot of pubs and clubs. So that was a bit of a distraction. I think, yeah, I spent my twenties having a lot of fun I forgot to mention one thing that was really important to me, like got through uni, I had to sort of, I, def I deferred from my first year. So in 2004, I stopped my studies and, and then left, started back 2005.
because I really balls up the first two two months at St. Martin's. But Why was that? Um, partying. Yeah, and actually my tutor that came to the party the other night, David, he was mega supportive. And he was just like, he could just tell I needed a bit of time out and just maybe get the partying thing out of your system a little bit. Because actually studying in London wasn't so easy and it wasn't, I think I could see my friends that went to Northern colleges having a laugh, but studying in London, especially at St. Martin's, it wasn't like, it wasn't that, in retrospect, it was, it was extremely good and sort of set quite a good precedent in terms of work ethic and just even creative practice. But in terms of being a 20 year old wanting to have a laugh, wasn't the most fun. So it was because it was so expensive here, you had to buy all your own materials. I think studying fashion, it was expensive. So what was it that brought you back, that, that brought you, that took you out of that moment and brought you back to St. Martin's and? Just that, yeah, because I think when I deferred, I then, I moved back up north for a few months, then it, you had quite a stark contrast between either get back to London and get on with things, or, or I don't know, be back up north. And I think I it just had a bit of a realisation that I might have been a bit, not as focused as what I should have been. I'm really glad it happened. Because then when I came back, it was a bit better, well, a lot better, got on with stuff. And then, yeah, you just sort of get, yeah, just enjoyed studying. I wasn't always the most studious either. And actually, my tutor, I'm saying this on record, so nobody can pull me up for it, so they can't be, oh, he was a lazy git. Because I was, it was quite bad. And my tutors still laugh about it. They're still like, you could have worked harder. You could have done more. So I think what really, well, I think it's to do with age. I think people, so weird in this country, like people study really young. Like imagine if you went to uni now, how much you'd get out of it? Probably a lot more. True. But you, you're 18 or 19, moving to university, it's far too young. But it's, well, it isn't, it isn't. But I think, yeah, I actually just noticed the older I got, I graduated when I was 25. And actually, as I, in the last few months of, studying that's when I really started to enjoy it it was kind of weird I think my, my final year having had a year in industry where I worked with John Galliano and Zandra Rhodes who I love uh, my final year was when I started really enjoying it and we got to make a final collection that I still stand against now obviously it's 10 years old now but I still still mega proud of it I'm excited that mm. I completed a collection of clothing how did the um the, the collaboration you did with the Tate around the Sonia Delaunay yeah. expression, how did that it's come really about? Nice. Was then, that, at what point was that after you graduated? Yeah, this yeah. was, so that it's funny, so then I graduated around 25, um, was always, and then actually the year after graduating, I got a teaching job at St. Martin's, so I still teach there sometimes, I do a little bit of teaching, and that always kept me in the loop, I was teaching illustration, and now I still do that sometimes um, and that kept me in the loop and it was good financially to have some money coming in and then I always was doing little creative projects I did a little accessories line for Selfridges made out of rubber weirdly so it was, yeah so I did that and then actually I got my first job in fashion was with Ashish the sequin guy I don't, I don't know if he likes it if I say this but I would say Ashish the sequin guy because it's all sequined so I worked with him for on and off for three years which I really loved actually and I still really love what he does and he's a friend so we hang out and he's it's been really exciting to see his success because when I started with him he was already pretty major I was quite starstruck when I met him I actually met him at a party at St Martin's in 2011 I can't remember what I said to him but all I know is that he I, he rang me up two days later was like do you want to work with me I was like yes <laughs> so I don't, I, I, must, I don't know what I said um Worked with him on and off for three years. That's, that was my first job in fashion. I really loved it. So I would paint big, he would give me big sheets of paper and you paint a pattern on it, send that off to India. And then he'd come back with a collection that had these patterns on that you'd, but they'd replicated it so amazingly. 
it was really exciting to see. It's like you'd, it, it was amazing. I loved that. I still love his stuff. I've got a few sequin things that I get to wear every now and then. <laughs> I really love him. And then, yes, that was that was my first job. And I was still doing that and teaching. And then I think stuff started changed started changing when I turned 30. Because I think I actually got my 20s out of the way, had a laugh. And then wanted to, I actually applied to do the Masters at St. Martin's um, with Louise Wilson, um, who sadly died five days after I spoke to her. So she died quite suddenly. I didn't get a place anyway. Um, she, I had a good half an hour chat with her. I sort of knew her anyway from working at St. Martin's. And she was- Why fun. do you think you didn't get a place? Um, she said I was too old, didn't have, my work was shit. Um, she said she could tell by my accent that I didn't have any money, so I probably couldn't afford to do the course. Typical nice. Louise Wilson stuff. <laughs> so that was all good. Um, but it was the best thing. I, she, I, she said to me, what do you want to do? It's because I'd just left Ashish. She was like, what do you want to do? I was like, I want to do my own stuff. She was like, well, you don't need to do this. Why don't you just do it? She sort of bollocked me. She said, do it. start doing what you want to do. And actually it almost took an external person to tell me that. And I was like, okay, yeah, you could just do it. Then I got a little project with Shaw Studio illustrating the the menswear shows from that season. And I think after that, it just start, started picking up traction. At that point, I was still working from my bedroom. So the stuff that I did for mm -hmm. the Tate, the drawings that the Tate have acquired mm. were all done in my bedroom. So they're part of the Tate permanent collection. Yeah, they? they've, they've acquired them. And that them. was, because um, it was, a, so it was the Sonia Delaunay exhibition and they recognised something in your work that was similar to her work? I think, or? yeah, they just did that. I think they could, mm. they saw it. Somebody there was just like, why don't we just get him to do a, some sort of a visual response to the exhibition, but obviously I do love her work. I, I knew her work anyway, but I was mega excited about that exhibition opening. So it was brilliant. I really like her work. Mm. Um, and that was nice. And then, yeah, it's like one thing, you just keep getting these little things that, because like I said, day to day or week to week, sometimes I think pace is moving quite slow, but then you need retrospect to sort of evaluate what you've done. You think, actually, yeah, the Tate do have some of my drawings. Oh, you know, you, good stuff has happened, yeah. but it it's like, it's a slow burner, isn't it? And is there a creative scene in London that you feel you're part of? No, I don't think so. I don't know. I feel like, obviously, I like working and I really like collaborating with people, but that, I think that's my need to collaborate with people is because I want to sort of create that scenario. So I, it doesn't, I don't just sit at my studio and, like, and wait for people to approach me. I ask them. So a lot of the time, I've been lucky, some people have approached me, but sometimes you'll see... For instance, with Globetrotter, I approached them because I wanted to do... If I approach a company, it's because I want to sort of almost collaborate with them and use their expertise to create something that I wouldn't be able to do. But then also you offer up what you do and often it could work well. What's the final object for your cabinet at Five Carlos Place? I have to think about this one. You've got a whole... Consult the list. Have to. Yeah. We've got... a. We've got an elastic van, McDonald's fries box, Enzo Mari chair. Yeah, stationary. Stationary. I'm going to say a Peter Shire cup, which is something that I'm obsessed with. I've got 10 of them, them at home. So Peter Shire is an amazing ceramicist and artist based in LA. He was part of the original Memphis group movement. So he worked directly with Torre Sotsas and all the other people, amazing George Soden and Natalie de Pasquier. Um, he worked directly with them and created amazing stuff in the 80s. But Peter Shire still has a, an art, a creative practice now. And he's got a, um, a pottery in LA. He's based in Silver Lake, so it's called Echo Park Pottery. And they, as part of his pottery output, his studio pottery, 
he makes these cups, which are unbelievably beautiful and incredibly functional, but a really exciting way to be, to buy into Peter Shire's work. Because obviously I would, would like an original work, but they're expensive, saving up for one. You um, sell a few more beds. Absolutely, yeah. sell a couple of beds and about yeah. 100 head vases and then <laughs> we'll get there. No, I really love his work. I think he's unbelievable. So anybody that doesn't know his work, look it up. Um, Peter Shire Echo Park Pottery Cup. And they come, they, they date them. He doesn't sign them personally unless he's decorated it. Luckily, I have got some of the ones he's decorated personally and they're in my display cabinet at home. So I might lend them to your cabinet. Yeah. I really love them, but I just think they're such a beautiful thing. And actually looking at the way he created his, I think I just really admire the way he works. He, like I said, he creates these one-off pieces, but then he's also worked with companies to design fun more functional, more mass-produced objects. That's what I'm excited about. And I'm excited that you can buy into his aesthetic in this way. There's one other artist that I would love people to sort of yeah. look up and think about. She's called Alison Britton. She's a British ceramicist. She also teaches at the Royal College of Art, but her work is unbelievable. She had a, there was a room full of her ceramics at the V&A in 2016. That was another sort of really memorable moment when you see these pieces, um, these really amazing hand-built ceramic pieces with big, the way she's sort of decorated them by hand and they're glazed and they're really, they're unbelievable. But yeah, look at Alison Britton's mm. work. That's so. everything you're saying about Alison Britton and obviously your own work and Peter Shire, just coming back to that whole point of, um, the need or the value in things that people making real yeah, stuff yeah, that isn't digital. Exactly. And, yeah. That, well, that's yeah, that's a really sort of poignant thought for now, isn't it? And mm. that's why I'm it, all this social media stuff and everything. It's good in one way, but I'm really worried in case it starts because it, it, if I'm not careful, it could interfere with your day. Like you sat looking at your phone, mm. and it's like so bad. It sort of gives you a headache, doesn't it? Mm. Start. I think it's without sounding romantic, that you want, it's nice to make something, or put your phone down. I I really want to read more, I can't, I feel like I haven't got the concentration dying to read, I've got about a million books lined up, I haven't read properly in about 20 years, I need to read, that's that thing, and then, but you lie in bed, in bed at night. No, we were talking to um, Samuel Ross from A Cold Wall, and he said he, he sets his alarm at 5am or something to schedule in an hour, an hour of reading. That's really, I think that's pretty sweet, like I like disciplined. that. Yeah. yeah, no, I really like that. But, but it's I, it's fine in one way, like this whole digital revolution, it's really exciting. We're sharing work and ideas and thoughts, but it's don't let it get in the way of other stuff. But because I'm ha happy and lucky that day to day I'm working with materials and working with objects and things and making things or drawing things. So it's kind of important to not get too distracted. That's great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks so much for coming onto the show. Thanks for having me. That was an episode of The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion podcast. You can find more episodes and more about Five Carlos Place on the Matches Fashion website. And you can join the conversation on social media by searching for at Matches Fashion, at Matches Fashion Man and the hashtag Five Carlos Place. Thanks for listening.